Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. You ever just kind of wake up or show up somewhere and you're just not feeling it? That's how I felt today, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, I, you know, I just, you know, I was just trying to conjure up some energy and, you know, usually I'm pretty, most of you know me, I'm pretty hyperactive around this whole place, but just came in today and I was like, I just wasn't feeling it. And, it, it, you know, I don't know, it's not like a demonic attack or, you know, I'm, I'm going into this, you know, right away everyone wants to ask you, what's wrong, are you okay? And I appreciate that, but, you know, I don't necessarily think anything, but I don't know. Um, I shared it first service, and, you know, I've, obviously poor first service. They had to deal with all the lumps and bruises of being the first service. Um, and then the second service gets, you know. But I do want to share it because I, 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 I felt and talked to a few folks. It sounded like when I said that, uh, people resonated with that. So I don't know if you're here today and you're just not feeling it. Um, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's just, you know, want to normalize. Let's normalize, like, being open and honest and vulnerable and weak and know that, um, you know, I guess in, in some worlds, we still elevate our pastors to this high place. But it's okay. Like, you ain't feeling it. I ain't feeling it. Let's not feel it together. But let's just trust the Lord, right? Even when we don't feel it, you know, he's working, right? So, uh, so you know, uh, it's good to know the worship team was praying and heard the Lord on the song. And so I want to just tell you, if you're not feeling it today, you are not alone. But we're going to get through this, and I believe God's going to speak, amen, and he has a word regardless, and um, the joy of the Lord amen. is our strength, amen, amen. 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 So we are in week seven, I stopped counting, I don't even know, are we seven weeks, are we eight weeks, I know we had an introductory week or whatnot into a series that we've entitled Rhythms of Life, and uh, this really, my prayer has been, Lord, would you revive, would you awaken, would you, would you restore, would you, um, would you bring a revival of spiritual disciplines at Inspire Church? Uh, would you create from this series uh, not just a, a, a six-week journey, but a lifelong reshaping and reorienting in the membership of Inspire Church? Um, that we would desire to participate in um, the spiritual disciplines uh, regularly, praying, fasting, practicing Sabbath rest, reading the scriptures, normalizing, waking up in the morning and talking to the Lord and reading a psalm. Will this, would this be more than just a 30-day gimmick? And that's my prayer, and, and, and I've been meeting with the leaders and they said, look, it, it's only going to happen to the membership if it starts with the leadership. Right. And so if you're a leader in this building, the priority number one is that it starts with us. In fact, it was really interesting. You know, I, last week I started this sermon on rest with a confession that I don't do too well in that. And then this week, a few of our leaders who did a podcast started off. It was Pastor Andy was like, I don't do this too well. It was Catherine as well. I don't do and so even will it start with us? Um, and and um, will, it, will it move? If you're a leader in this place, you're an elder, staff, coach, captain, small group leader, wherever you find yourself leading at any level, that, um, um, that the revival of spiritual disciplines 
moving beyond the gimmicks of 30-day marketing campaigns uh, to really make this a lifestyle. Amen? Uh, today marks an interesting shift in our rhythms. Uh, we began with four weeks of out inward rhythms, uh, rhythms that transform the soul, rhythms that primarily move inward and begin to work in the heart and the soul. And those rhythms were praying, fasting, resting, right? These are rhythms, reading the scriptures, they're renewing the mind, uh, uh, um, um, just transforming the soul. And, and today marks a, a shift away from the internal movements of, of, of transformation to the external movements of renewing the world. Because as followers of Christ, we are not just called to sit in a corner, sing kumbaya, and let the Lord transform me. But then we are also called to go out and to be a part of what God is doing in renewing the world. And so we move from resting today to working. And we are going to talk about work. Amen? I'm sure you are excited to talk about work. Amen? Who in here just couldn't wait to talk about work? I want to start today's message with a lesson from church history. I love history. Document, documents. <laughs> yeah, historical documents. <laughs> Documentaries. Uh, um, even Netflix originals that follow some sort of historical uh, trajectory. I love, I love history. It's a genre I'm learning. Oh, I enjoy that. Um, and so I thought today we'd start off with a little history lesson. If those of you in here that don't like history, just bear with me for a little bit. Um, there was a time uh, in church history uh, when we were all Catholic, right? The word Catholic really just means universal. Um, but there was a time when the Roman Empire and the, religi the religion of Christianity kind of merged and became kind of Roman Catholic. And so there's a time in church history when there was a split in the Roman Catholic Church. And that time is known as the Protestant Reformation. In fact, we are products of that split. We are part of um, this Reformation. And this split really uh, was brought on by some key theological disagreements but what was really interesting was this split and these theological disagreements were so profound. They were so deep. They were so vast that it not only caused people to leave the Catholic Church, but it literally changed the way they lived out their faith in real time, including the way they viewed work or what we're calling the theology of vocation. Now, the word vocation is Latin for calling. So when you talk about your work or your vocation, you're also essentially using the word call. Let me just talk about this split a little bit more. You see, the Roman Catholic Church limited the call of God to the priesthood and the monastery. In other words, if you didn't take a vow of celibacy... If you didn't take a vow of poverty, and if you didn't take a vow of obedience to the Catholic Church, your work would not be considered a holy vocation to the Lord. You with me? 
And, and so the reformers were like, nah, that's not biblical. And as they began to look at the word and they began to draw out the implications of theology into your everyday life. It's called practical theology. How, I can, how my brain affects my hands and my feet. As they begin to look at the word, they countered the Catholic church's idea of vocation by identifying in scripture what they felt were four essential arenas that a person is called to. Whereas the Catholic Church would say either the priesthood or the monastery, the reformer said, no, here are the four areas. Number one says that we are called to the household. Number two, we are called to the church. Number three, we are called to the workplace. And number four, we are called to the state as citizens. Right? So again, the reformer said the calling is in the household the church place, the workplace, and the state, the community. You with me? Now, again, prior to the Reformation, only priests and monks were able to connect their work to God's redemptive story. Does that kind of sound familiar for some of y'all in here today? Right. Only the priests and monks could see their daily tasks as holy and worship to the Lord. But a closer examination of scripture revealed what the reformers called the priesthood of all believers. And as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, and verse 1 is present your bodies. You know what that means? That means your entire life, wherever your body goes, present it as what? Living sacrifices. And then Paul will say, this is your spiritual what? Worship. Your spiritual worship. And so, as the priesthood of the believers, we believe that all, all who call Christ Lord can connect their work to the story of God. Amen? We believe that all those who have been called by faith to submit to the Lordship of Jesus can connect their work to God's work. For God's glory. And so my prayer today is really twofold. Number one, that we would be able to connect our work to God's story. That you would be able to walk out of here and connect what you do to what God does. And number two, that we would be able to walk away from today's message with a greater sense of eternal significance in our careers. Amen? There's this dumb dichotomy. <laughs> A dumb dichotomy is when you try to split two things that shouldn't be split. Uh, that says that, you know, there are two spheres of life. They're sacred and secular. But if you're a believer, there's no such thing. All things are unto the Lord. And that's what we're going to discuss today. Are we good? Y'all good with me? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, I need you. So I pray that you, your word would... Uh, come from my mouth and um, be true. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take that word and illuminate it in the hearts and minds of every believer and unbeliever in this room. And I just pray, Lord, that you would get all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, I want to survey the theology of vocation. Theology of vocation. And I want to discuss 
three ways that the theology of vocation can help you see your work. You can walk out of here looking at your work in these three lenses, okay? So number one is um, the significance of your work. I want you to see the significance of your work in the story of God. Number two, the sanctification of work. And number three, the sacredness of work. So if you're taking notes, it's sanctification. I'm sorry, it's significance, sanctification, and it's sacredness. Amen? And I was told by my staff last week that, man, you were a little conversational. So I'll try to yell and scream and break out the vein and do all that stuff last week. I think I might wake some of y'all up and uh, we'll try to get hot and heavy today. But, you know, I'm striving to be a great communicator. And so uh, with that being said, hopefully I can wake y'all up today. Uh, let's talk about the significance of work. And honestly, what I'm learning, and I don't know for many of you in here that have taught or preached in any way in scriptures, really Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells the whole story. I mean, we keep going back to the first three chapters of the creation narrative where we find so much joy, so much hope, and we see God in it all. And really, I feel like if God only wrote those first three chapters of Genesis, we would have a lot. We would have a lot. We would even have the gospel in there. And I'll tell you about that momentarily. And so we're going to talk about the significance of our work, but we got to go back to the very beginning. Genesis, and I mean the very beginning. Genesis 1-1 says, in the... God what? In the beginning, God created. What does that say? Right off the bat, we're told in the beginning, God worked. Right? In God's self-revelation, right? He's revealing himself to mankind. Like, here it is. This is who I am. He opens up his self-revelation in the first five words, and he says, guess what, everybody? I am a laborer. In the beginning, God worked. God reveals himself as creation's first labor. But it's not just that he worked, which is already deeply significant. But it's how he worked. It's how he worked that brings significance to our work. Let's talk about that for a moment. In verse 1, it says that in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. He created what was above and he created what was below. And then as you begin to read this beautiful, poetic chapter unfold in the next handful of verses, the scripture tells us that God spoke light into darkness. That God organized and divided time and seasons and that he brought order and meaning to emptiness and void. That's not like what God does to us. He speaks lights into darkness then he organizes and divides and he brings order and meaning to chaos and void this is how god works tim mackey who is one of the founders of the bible project says it perfectly he said god takes what is wild and waste and turns it into something that is beautiful and beneficial. Isn't that beautiful? 
God takes, you see, in verse 1, in the beginning, God created what was above and what was below. But it was unformed yet. It was still wild and waste. Like, as chapter 1 unfolds, you begin to see God bring up the mountains and divide the land. And we see the water and the lights and the vegetation. But in the very beginning, in Genesis 1-1, it's wild and it's waste. And so Tim Mackey says, God takes what is wild and waste and turns it into what is beautiful and beneficial. This is how God works. And if you think about it, it's not just that God worked, and it's not just how he worked, but even why he worked. Why he worked. Now, we all, the right answer, right, is Jesus, or another one you could say is God's glory. You could always say that and get the right answer. Either Jesus is the answer or for God's glory. Those two things, will be, they're essentially the same. But yes, he works for his glory. But I want you to see in context here, God is creating and establishing. Why? Because he's creating an environment that is suitable for who? Us. Right? He doesn't create us on day two. Right? There'll be no water. Right? There'd be no air. There'd be no light. We wouldn't have sun. We'd have the moon. Right? God creates us on day six. And so what is he doing? He is fashioning, molding, creating, and beautifying for the benefit of humanity so that we can live in an environment that would sustain our human flourishing. Are you with me? You could say that humanity is the beneficiary of God's labor. But the plot thickens. God works. He creates mankind. And then he invites us to be his co-workers. He invites us to be his co-workers. Now, I don't have time to read and unpack through the Genesis story. But what you begin to see is God infuses the world with creative energy. God infuses the world with untapped potential. You think about it, think of a seed. The scripture talks about the vegetation and the fruit and the seed. Inside of that seed is life and it's untapped. God has fused the seed with the ability to explode into something beautiful and beneficial, but it must be cultivated. It must be watered. It must be tended. It must be dug deep into the soil. Are you with me? I like hunting for Easter eggs. I'm too old, but I still want to do it sometimes. If you hide eggs for your kids, I like to hide the eggs, but sometimes I kind of want to still hunt them, right? But I'm 40. And so I just get the joy of pee running around looking for eggs, right? But I want you to think about it. Like Easter eggs, God hides raw resources. He hides raw materials in the earth waiting for them to be discovered, developed, and deployed, and made useful for mankind. And in doing this, God invites Adam and Eve to what? Work. He invites them to work. He calls them to cultivate and create, to plant and to harvest and to garden, to organize and divide. God is inviting humanity to co-labor with him in taking what is wild and waste and turning it into something that is beautiful and beneficial. 
So man images God in his physical labor. We plant and we garden. But man also images God in his intellectual labor. We organize. We divide. Are you guys with me? And this is probably the key here. And I need you guys to see this because this is where everything is going to shift and change and everything is going to hinge here. Here's the key. And what we realize is, is that work preceded the fall. Some of you are like, okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, ooh, that's good. Some of you are like, oh, no, work preceded the fall. What does that mean? That means that as much as you may want to, <laughs> work is not the result of sin. Work is a gift. And don't we see that sometimes? Don't we get capture that in glimpses? Like every once in a while, do you feel like really good about your job or your thing that you accomplish? Every once in a while, we capture the reality that work can be what? It can be good. It can be good. And so what we see in this Genesis narrative, this grand story it has tremendous impact on the significance of work. So let's talk about the implications of that. Let's get practical for a moment. Is that okay? Okay, number one, here's what we can draw from that. Really practical. Work is for the benefit of others. Right? I mean, God works. But his labor was for the benefit of others. He beautified and made it beneficial so that others could come and enjoy. You see that? And so when we look at work as a gift from God, we look at work as something that what? Benefits others. I love this. Only God can bring meaning to our work. Amen. Amen. Think about Darwinism for a minute. Darwinism ultimately views work as an evolutionary necessity, right? We have evolved. We've evolved, right? And Darwinism basically reduces the motivation of our work to survival. Does that make sense? It's an evolutionary necessity. It reduces the motivation of our work to survival, right? Darwinism centers self. And strips work from any transcendent meaning, any transcendent value beyond ourselves. And so Darwinism and its ultimate idea of work builds a kind of script in our minds that says, I get up and go to work because this is what I have to do to what? Survive. You see that? Darwinism, it steals the gift of significance. And it demeans work to a means to survive. Biblical creationalism, however, elevates the motivation of our work beyond ourselves. Amen? And like God, and like God, and like God, you see that? And like God, when we work, we do it so that others could be blessed. Y'all see that? And so for us, work becomes more than just a paycheck or a promotion. But it becomes a, a pathway and a passion to bless the world. 
Now, here's what's ironic. Many Christians function as atheists in the way they view their work. You're cynical, you're bored, and you're only in it for yourself. And many atheists function as creationists in their work. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because it feels passionate and purposeful. In fact, if you do all the research and all the studies, the majority of successful industries and businesses are in this world were because they primarily developed something that what? Helped people. We hear that all the time, don't we? I mean, any entrepreneurs in the room, if you ever sit with entrepreneurs that have been truly successful, they don't even, they're not even Christians. But they will all tell you at some level the reason why they were successful is because their primary pursuit was what? Helping someone. And those of us whose primary pursuit is to turn a dollar ends up not producing a business that is in any blessing, any beauty or help. I know. Thank you, brother. The implication is work is a benefit for others. Number two, the implication is all work images God. Provided it's not prohibited in scripture. Some are like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, not giving, you know what I mean? Like, oh, wow, that just justified what I do to make a buck. No. Provided it is not prohibited in the Bible. Amen? Okay, cool. Amen. All work images God. Watch this. When we work, we become extensions of his common grace. Y'all know what common grace is? Do you know that God extends his grace to all of his creation? Whether you're a believer or not. Whether you're a Christian, a Buddhist, an atheist, a Muslim, or an ag you're ag agnostic to this whole thing and are unsure, you are a recipient of God's common grace. The fact that you woke up this morning, the fact, right, this is common grace. The world isn't falling apart. God is holding it together. Whether you're a Christian or not, he extends his common grace to all mankind. And so work, when we work, we image God by extending, being extensions of his common grace to the world. We become the literal hands and feet of Jesus. I love this. God heals us through doctors. And some of us are so fundamentalist. We only believe God heals us when someone prays. It's got to be magical and mystical. There's no way practical reality that God works through that. I can go off on this. Science, I, you know, we're going to keep going. Here we go. God heals us through doctors. He serves us through baristas. He protects us through police officers. He feeds us through farmers. He teaches us through teachers. The reformer Martin Luther calls this the mask of God. He explains, we only see the human face performing ordinary tasks in everyday life. But behind that calling through which we are blessed, God himself is hidden. Giving his gifts. If this is true, then no task is beneath me. And no title is less prestigious. Whether you're a mother or a lawyer. A mechanic or a consultant. Whether you drive for Uber or recruit software engineers for Google. Whether you went to Yale or you went to Chabot. All labor is deeply significant because all labor reflects God. 
No other worldview can offer up significance to a world that would otherwise turn up their nose and say, that's beneath me. I love how Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. put it. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Y'all ain't Christian enough to believe that, though. The third implication from this point of significance, this is going to be really anticlimactic. You ready? Here it is. Don't be lazy. <laughs> so don't be lazy. If work is significant, if we image God in our work, don't be lazy. We were made in the image of a creator who rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty. And we are being formed in the image of a savior who stooped low, put on flesh, and accomplished the work of salvation by being nailed to a tree. Listen, listen. The gods of mythology are vain and lazy, but the God of the Bible does work. He does work. He does work. He takes what is wild and waste, and he makes it beautiful and beneficial. Amen? Good, now I can offend you. Therefore, there is no room for laziness and lethargy. There is little tolerance for slothfulness in the kingdom of God. In fact, there are not too many things more off-putting and harmful to our gospel witness than a lazy Christian. I think we get it a little twisted, don't we? God's Sabbath one day, y'all. But pastor, you just talked about Sabbath, right? But he worked six days. So get up, get off your couch, provide for your family, serve your community, volunteer in your local church. Oh, you don't like that one, do you? Right. You don't like that. No, no, not that one. I'm on a Sabbath. Stop, stop. I can't, I can't. I feel my wife. I feel the grace of God telling you you're a liar. Stop it. Just kidding. It's a joke, but nonetheless, provide for your family, serve your community. You know, I could really manipulate on this church serving thing, but I don't want to do that. That would be wrong. But yes, volunteer in your local church. <clears throat> and be actively engaged in the movements of God to bless the world. See that? And be actively engaged in the movements of God, not to bless you. Not so that you look good and look cute. So that you could be engaged and you could find deep significance in what you do. 
because you are moving in a common grace of God. In the same way he is sustaining things, he is using all of humanity, regardless of their faith, to be extensions of his hands and his feet to the world. Amen? Number two, the sanctification of work. This is where it all turns around. <laughs> you know, if we just stood in Genesis 1 and 2, man, work would be a paradise, wouldn't it? Right? Work would be great. But, but Genesis 3 tells us something happens. Adam fails to trust God. Adam falls. He redefines what is good and what is not. He listens to the serpent. He partakes of the forbidden fruit. Sin enters in. And what do we see? Work itself is not cursed, but our work conditions are. What do we see happening there? We're told that the ground begins to produce thorns and thistles. Thistles. <laughs> Every time I say thistles, I'm tempted to do that, so I just got out of the way, right? Like, ow, right? Like, it, the, the ground begins to produce weeds. Right? You ever cut weeds? You ever try to get rid of weeds? You ever use Roundup? Maybe not. I hear the commercials all the time. If you did use Roundup and something happened, you can get some money. But the ground begins to produce thorns and thistles. How about this? And human relations become complicated and complex. Amen. Can I get an amen? You ever feel the tensions of poor work conditions? <laughs> Do you ever feel Genesis 3 in your work? So we miss the promotion. We get hurt on the job. We bomb the performance review. Or even worse, we lose it all. The business is shut down. And we grieve the loss of a dream. Thorns and thistles. But that's not it. Even our human relations are harmed. Right, Rachel? HR department? Right? This is why we have human, we have HR. I know there are a few folks in here working HR. Even our human relations are harmed. We can't stand our boss. Don't say amen. It's being recorded. <laughs> we dislike our coworkers. We get annoyed at our customers. Or it gets worse. How about this? We deal with toxic work cultures. Right? We, we, we're faced with unfair expectations. Workplace politics. Backbiting. Rivalry, jealousy, envy, competing, and we deal with different forms of harassment, prejudice, racism, thorns, thistles, broken human relations, sin, Genesis 3, has distorted the good gift of work. And the temptation is to quit, isn't it? Come on, y'all know how to quit. In fact, you guys are really good at quitting without quitting. You know what I mean? Anybody good at that? It's like, you know, I may not leave the job, but, I'm, you know, I'm out, right? Like, you know, like, you know, the optimal performance is no longer optimal. No, I'm the only one, huh? But what if one of the primary ways 
God forms you into the image of Christ is in work. Now, I am not suggesting, and I always have to make this, this doesn't mean stay in a place where you're being abused. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just saying in the natural normative ways in which sin has broken relationships, so on and so forth. What if God is using your work to sanctify you into the image of Christ? Matter of fact, I heard a pastor say, if I gave you a million dollars, let's say I told you I can give you all the money you ever wanted so that you would never have to work again, would you take it? Right? Right? Now, the first answer is yes, but what if I told you that'll harm your soul? Because what if I told you that one of the primary ways in which God fashions you into the image of Christ is through your workplace? You know, they say the average American works about 100,000 hours, puts about 100,000 hours of work in their lifetime. And that's not including commuting. (laughs) It's not including traffic and all else it takes just to get there and get home. And it's not including unpaid work. And so if work is one of the primary places where you're going to spend most hours of your life, then it's got to be one of the places where God is going to use to sanctify you into the image of Christ. Hear me out, okay? We love to talk about the blessing of work, don't we? Right, God bless me with this new job, girl. I've been praying. Right? God gave me this job. We love promotions, don't we? Ooh, come on. God bless me with a raise. We're here even when I don't see it. You're working. You never stop. Right? Right? The success, the fruit of our labor. Ooh, that's good. That's lovely. That's God. I'm here. Front row. But sometimes the failures, the frustrations, and the deep disappointments that we experience in our work are being used by God to produce holiness more than the promotions, the raises, and the successes. You don't go to church that day, though, do you? He ain't working that day. Hmm. Y'all hear me? Have you ever thought about it like that? Many times we fail to see how God could use the suffering of our workplace to bring about the fruit of his spirit in our lives. Maybe God is testing you. Maybe God is exposing you. Maybe God is revealing character flaws within you. Maybe your workplace is becoming a mirror of wisdom that if you would just stop running, avoiding, and blaming, you would actually see the Spirit inviting you to grow up, mature, develop the fruit of the Spirit. It's already someone else's problem, huh? So number one, God, the work, vocation, calling, he brings significance. His story brings significance to our work. But his story also brings sanctification. 
and understand that we are being formed into the image of Jesus. So if you're in here today and everything has gone wrong, could that be a blessing? Could that be a gift? Finally, number three, the sacredness of work. We go from significance and sanctification to sacredness. Now, I want to point out two sacred truths, and, and the team can hold off until I get to mission. I called you up a little early uh, this week, uh, this last service. So uh, I want to talk about two sacred truths that will help us begin to look at our work as a holy vocation. Amen? So it's like, now my work ain't holy. Uh, uh, work is a holy vocation. And I want to call you to two elements. Number one, work as worship. And number two, work is mission. Amen? Yeah. Work as worship. I'm going to read from the text Colossians chapter 3. We'll have it for you here on the screen. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 22 through 24. And I'm going to read a, a particular section about bond servants and masters. Please don't read American slavery into this. Think of employee-employer. Are you with me? This is kind of ancient speak here. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Scripture reads like this. Paul says to the church at Coloss, bond servants, employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly Masters, not by way of eye service <laughs> as people pleasers. In other words, y'all do the job when they're looking, you know, the bosses around. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but ready with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I love this. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul writes to a community that has learned how to compartmentalize their lives. Y'all know what I'm talking about? To a community that only images Christ on Sunday at church. But not at work. Paul reminds them the supremacy of Christ, which is the theme of Colossians. The supremacy of Christ in all things, not some things, including what? Their work. Paul reminds them that Christ is supreme in all things. You see, when you work, you do not work for yourself. You do not work for your employer. But when you work, you work as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. When waiters wait tables, they wait on Christ. When nurses interact with patients, they interact with Christ. When accountants do taxes, you know whose taxes they are doing? Christ. When a construction worker builds a house, they build Christ's house when a guard patrols the parking lot he protects christ's car when roberto cuts hair he cuts christ's hair when nelson naomi and becca teach students they teach christ's students i don't think y'all are hearing me when marcus and sonia cook when tam does it work when paul and Gigi are at the hospital blanca and sherry are counseling when my wife is at home a homemaker providing for the house they are doing it 
for and to Christ. Team, you can come up. In a letter dated February 19th, 1996, it says, attention, Philip Muella. This is my father. The letter writes, Philip, it is a great deal of relief to me just having you on the racking line. You are consistent. Your quality of workmanship is outstanding and your production of work and attitude are good. You provide a sense of stability and compassion for the people around you. This is United Airlines. Thank you for the Christ-likeness. Now, y'all don't even see that. Thank you for the Christ-likeness you display by being an outstanding employee. It's, I just want to let that sit. You don't even have to. It's okay. I know it's awkward silence. Let it, let it sit. You see, for Papa Phil, work was worship. Y'all don't hear me, though. It reflected Jesus. He truly lived out Colossians 3, 23, that says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. My dad isn't a pastor. He isn't a priest. He isn't a monk. He's not even a, ministry, a missionary. He is an airplane mechanic working at a machine shop, bringing glory to God. Do you hear me? Yeah. He's not a pastor. Not a missionary going to the nations, right? All those people went to youth camps. Everyone prayed over us. You're going to the nations. You're going to the nations. You're going to the nations. And now that you're not going to nations, you think you have no significance. Work is worship. And finally, we're closing here. Work as mission. I'm going to give you the grand narrative, the big picture of God in four scriptures. Ready? The first one is found in Genesis 1:28. This is known theologically, theologians, scholars, whatever you want to call them, people who just do a lot of reading. They have called this the creation mandate or the culture mandate the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 28 right it's God's divine job description to Adam and Eve you ready here it is it says this and God blessed them and God said to them notice the first time God speaks to them it's recorded in scripture he says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see that in Genesis 1, God creates man and gives him work to do. Fruitful, multiply, exercise authority. But then in Genesis 3, Adam falls and fails in his work. You see that? In fact, what he should have dominion over will now have dominion over him. Things, stuff. 
And he'll pass that to all of us, all of his descendants. We will no longer be able to have authority and dominion. Sin has authority and dominion over us. As a result, our work conditions will become cursed, thorns, thistles, and complicated work relationships. And Adam will become too weak to accomplish the task of bringing God's dominion, dominion and authority to the earth. In fact, Cain and Abel will experience workplace violence. It'll be in the field, overwork, Cain's work and Abel's work, and the jealousy and rivalry in that, that will cause one to kill the other. Our work conditions will become cursed, and Adam will become too weak to accomplish the task God's dominion and authority and reign over the earth. But it's in this setting of the curse in Genesis 3 where a promise is made. There's a promise made in Genesis 3. The gospel is preached in Genesis 3. Doesn't he say that Adam and Eve, you will continue to multiply and be fruitful? And that one day from your fruitfulness will come a seed, a child? And that seed, what will it do? That seed will stomp. His heel will be bruised, but he will stomp on the head of the snake. You see what I'm saying? You guys see? Do you get it? The gospel is preached. The promise is given in the midst of the curse. From this seed, the head of the snake will be crushed. And the seed will finish the work that Adam failed to accomplish. Of course, we see this fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Jesus succeeds where Adam fails. He does what Adam couldn't do, and he undoes what Adam did. And now we see the rule and dominion of God will continue through the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we go from the creation mandate to the Great Commission in Matthew 28 after Christ has finished the work. He's resurrected from the dead and he is now ascending into heaven. He tells all of his followers in Matthew 28, 18, he says, and Jesus came to them and look what he said, all authority. See that? You see that authority that was given away by Adam? All authority, dominion belongs. What does he say? All authority. Then he goes, on heaven and earth. You see the Genesis motif right there? Heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, here goes your divine job description, right? Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Notice in this grand story, the creation mandate now becomes the Great Commission. But there's been a fundamental change in work. Number one, we trust Christ's work, the finished work of the cross. We don't put, we don't make a God of our work. Our work can't save us. Yes, we work and we bring common grace 
But ultimately, salvation alone, the transformation of hearts belong to Christ. Work changes. And look, we are still called to multiply. You ready for this? We're still called to be fruitful and multiply, but not by birth, but by belief. We are still called to multiply, but our multiplication will not come by the birth of more children, but by the rebirth of God's children. You see, when somebody who doesn't know Jesus puts their faith in his finished work on the cross, we are born what? Again. And we become a new creation. And so now the primary vocation of God's people submitted to God's authority under the lordship of Christ is to multiply disciples. It's to make disciples. Can I just say this? Though we have many jobs represented in this room, your primary vocation is not a plumber, a lawyer, a nurse, a electrician, a recruiter, a homemaker, a teacher, a waiter, loan officer, social worker, mechanic. Your primary call is to bring the world into submission under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You may not be a pastor. You may not be an elder. You may not be a member of a church staff. You may not be a missionary, a priest, or a monk. You may not be called to take a vow of celibacy, although some of you should. You may not be called to take a vow of celibacy. You may not be called to take a vow of poverty. You may not be called to take a vow of obedience to the church. But if you are a child of God, saved by grace, are you ready for this? It's going to be radical. You are a full-time minister of the gospel. Wherever you go. Doesn't that kind of change the way you see that argument you have with your boss? A little, just a little bit. Does that change the way you see how you treat your coworkers? Doesn't that change the way you see you go from an evolutionary necessity of survival? to a transcendent meaning, a, a beautiful, bigger story, a narrative by which you are a part of and making all things new. And even though work conditions have been cursed with thorns and thistles and dysfunctional relationships, you've been called to image God in your work and you've been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to say a prayer for you momentarily. But I'd love for us just to sit, respond, sing, worship, whatever you need to do, but allow the Spirit to take this word and let it resonate deeply in your heart, no matter what job you have or where you find yourself, because Monday morning is coming.
worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Touching every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you. Light in the dark. 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Way make a miracle work. Pray over your home. Thank Disciple you, your children. Thank you, Lord. Come on, as you, as you organize the house, would you sense God in the activity of organizing and dividing and preparing and creating? Come on, teachers, as you teach, and though it may be difficult, and the children may be hard to deal with, and though you're watching these kids, you're playing such an intricate role in building and creating and you're speaking light into dark places some of the kids come from darkness and as God spoke lights and dark and chaos became light and bountiful and beautiful you are given an opportunity to speak lights even if it's just for a moment don't underestimate anybody in here struggling with their status in life you're insecure about your vocation you're insecure about your career because you have looked at career as a form of identity you've looked at career to define you and determine whether you are successful 
made by accident a God of career. Would you just submit that wrong thinking under the cross of Christ? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And finally, I want to pray for our work conditions. Amen. I want to pray if anyone is in this room experiencing tensions of the curse, tensions of the fall, thorns and thistles and complicated relationships. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray all over this room. I pray for those that are working through sanctifying moments at their workplace. Pray that they would see you, hear you, sense you, feel you. I pray, Lord, even there are some right now that feel uh, just unfulfilled. Pray for those that are in this room that are feeling very unfulfilled with their work. And they're looking for significance and they're looking for it in work. And, 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 and I, I just pray, Lord, that you would just maybe take them one steep, step deeper, that the significance wouldn't necessarily be in the work, but in the God of the work. And in finding that, Lord, then lead them where you want to lead them. Then speak to them where you, how you want to speak to them, Lord. And Lord, I'm not saying that changing jobs is bad. Maybe there are some people in this room are changing careers or looking for new. It's not a bad thing, but God, I pray that it wouldn't be the career where they would find status and identity and significance, but it would be the God, the Lord of work, the one who labored. We'd find significance in him, and then that would lead us to look according to the gifts and the callings that you've given us. Help us to rightfully place you as Lord over everything. And no matter where we go, that we never forget our primary call, our primary vocation is to be a follower of Christ who makes disciples. We don't have to be pastors, missionaries, priests, monks to be able to love people like Christ be able to lead people to Christ, to be able to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit throughout the day as we image Christ. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this room. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in all of us. And I ask that you would be with us as we leave this place. You are worthy. Christ, you are supreme over everything, not just Sunday. But you are supreme over everything, every task, every day. Get all the honor and all the glory from our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.